to Why is English? A podcast about how the English language got to be the way it is. I'm Laura Brandt, and today we're looking at what the deal is with our alphabet. One of those things that's so fundamental we kind of take it for granted. But not today. episodes ago, I talked about some of the reasons for some of the messed up spelling in English, like sound changes and standardization. But today I want to get even more basic. I want to talk about the letters themselves. Like, where does the alphabet come from? Why do we have the letters we have? Why do we call the letters what we do? Why do we have seemingly useless letters like X and C when there's perfectly good K and S right there? And also, why do we sometimes use two letters for one sound, like TH for TH? And surprise, surprise, the answer is historical reasons. Okay, cool, that's it. Podcast done. Pack it up, people. Just kidding, obviously, you can see how much time there is left. So, let's start with that first question. Where did the alphabet come from? Well, we can actually trace our alphabet all the way back to ancient Egypt from about the 18th to the 15th century BCE, although it's not directly from the Egyptians. See, the Egyptians used a hieroglyphic writing system, which used a lot of what's called logographic symbols, which is basically where the symbol represents the word or the thing that it's a picture of, which is different from alphabetic systems like we have in English or a lot of other languages have, where a symbol represents a sound, and then we put the symbols together to make words. So basically, the first alphabetic system, which is called Proto-Sinaitic or Proto-Canaanite, was created in Egypt, but by Semitic people, who like used Egyptian hieroglyphs as the symbols, but instead of the symbols representing their original meaning, the symbols represented a sound. So for example, the Egyptian symbol for house was like a square with the middle bit of the bottom taken off, so it kind of looked like a house with a doorway at the bottom. And that symbol ended up getting used in the Proto-Sinaitic alphabet for the B sound. Why B? Well, just because the word for house in the Semitic language was Beit, which starts with B. Which is also more evidence for this writing system not being Egyptian, even though it used Egyptian symbols, because the Egyptian word for house was Par which has no B in it. And that's basically how this alphabetic system happened. Take a picture that represents some common word, take the first sound of the Semitic language's word for it, use that picture to represent that sound, and then bam, alphabetic writing system. So here's a couple more examples. The Egyptian hieroglyph for water was just like a bunch of wavy lines, like you might still see on a map or something representing water, or just like if you're trying to draw waves or something. So this symbol got adapted for the M sound, because the Semitic word for water was mame. Of course, now we've shortened it to just a couple of wavy lines, but you can still see how we got to the letter M. Or if you take the capital letter A and turn it upside down, it kind of looks like an ox head with like the two horns sticking up. That's because the word for ox was alp. Now, this writing system was mainly used in Sinai and Canaan, hence the name Proto-Sinaitic or Proto-Canaanite, 
which was like Southwest Asia and like the Eastern Mediterranean area. And over time, it gradually evolved and eventually it developed into the alphabet used by the Phoenicians, who were a group of people that lived in and around what's now Lebanon. Historians generally date the Phoenician alphabet to around 1050 BCE, and what's important about the Phoenician writing system, aside from some of the changes it made, like writing in straight lines instead of every which way, and the newer forms of the symbols and their names, like Alep, Beit, and Gimel, which might be more familiar if you know the first few letters of like the Hebrew or the Greek alphabets, is that the Phoenicians are a big part of how the alphabet got spread. Because the Phoenicians, for a while, were like big traders and a big economic power in the region, and so because of their influence, people learned about their alphabet, and they were like, wait, hold up, I only have to learn these like 22 symbols instead of this whole like super complicated system that we'd been using before? Like, absolutely, yeah, let's do that. And so actually, almost all alphabet systems in the world are either descended from the Phoenician alphabet or are like cousins to it. But the descendant we're going to focus on here is the Greek alphabet, because that's the one that ultimately led us to the one we use today. So the Greeks borrowed the Phoenician alphabet to create the Greek alphabet somewhere around the late 9th or early 8th century BCE. But because Greek was a different language from Phoenician, they didn't have exactly the same sounds in their language as the Phoenicians had in theirs, and so they made some adjustments to adapt the Phoenician alphabet to the Greek language. For example, the Phoenicians had three different symbols to represent three sort of S-like sounds. One was S, one was for the SH sound, and the third was a sound we don't have in English but was something like but the Greeks only had one of those sounds, just S, and so they took one of those symbols and got sigma. And I should also mention here that there was a sort of division between the way Western and Eastern Greeks adapted the alphabet. So the Eastern Greek alphabet, which is what developed into the modern Greek alphabet, also took the symbol for another of those S-like sounds and adapted it to use for a sort of similar-ish sound that they had that the Phoenicians didn't, which is the k sound. It's like the K-S sound at the end of, like, books, which became the letter Xi. The Western Greek alphabet, though, which is what developed into our modern alphabet, didn't do that for the k sound, though. The Greeks also added a few brand new letters for other sounds that they had that the Phoenicians didn't, which is where we get phi, chi, and psi in the current Greek alphabet. Well, except the Western Greeks did something a little different here too, because they did still have that x sound, but they decided to use one of those new symbols to represent that sound, and so for the Western Greeks, they decided to use the symbol that the Eastern Greeks had used for chi, for the x sound, which happens to look like an X. And of course, that symbol has managed to survive all the way to today to represent that same x sound, even though it's kind of unnecessary in modern English since, you know, we could pretty much just use KS. <sighs> But maybe the most significant change the Greeks made to the Phoenician alphabet was the addition of vowels. So yeah, the Phoenician alphabet was actually just made up of the consonant sounds, and the vowels were kinda implied, 
sort of like modern Hebrew or Arabic. But for writing Greek, the vowels were much more important, and so the Greeks adapted some of the Phoenician letters to be vowels. So the first one was Alep, which, just like it probably sounded like to you just now, it sounded to the Greeks like it started with an ah vowel sound. But it actually started with a consonant called a glottal stop, which is a sound we actually do use in English, although we don't have a letter for it. It's the stop sound in uh-oh, or I have it in my dialect in words like curtain or button, that uh sound. Or like, it's pretty well known in Cockney English where they say words like butter for butter. But the Greeks didn't have that glottal stop sound, and so alep became the vowel alpha. A similar thing happened with the Phoenician letter rayin, which started with a consonant that's similar to the French R, but even farther back in the throat, which was another sound that the Greeks didn't have, and so they took that letter to be O. Rayin, incidentally, meant I, like the kind you see out of in the old Semitic language, which is why O looks like a circle. O, later on, came to be known as Omicron, to distinguish it from the longer O, Omega, like O-Micron and Omega, little O and big O, or really it was short O and long O. But that all happened later, and the letter we use today came from when it was just O. The letter I came from the Phoenician letter Yod, which started with a Y sound, but the consonant Y, or Y, is pretty similar to the vowel sound E, which is how the Greeks pronounced the letter I, so that one became Iota, or Yoda. And similarly, the Phoenicians had a letter called Wow, which represented the W sound, but since W, or W, is close to like the U sound, OO, the Greeks again took that symbol for the vowel sound, which was initially just called OO, and then was later renamed to OOPsilon, or Upsilon. But I should note that the symbol for wow, which then became the symbol for epsilon, was actually written like the modern Latin letter Y. So that's going to come up again later. Another important point about this is that while the Eastern Greek dialects only had the oo vowel sound, Western Greek dialects, remember the version that developed into our alphabet, had both that vowel and the consonant w. So, in addition to adapting that wow letter to become the symbol for the vowel sound, they also used it for another letter to represent the consonant sound. And this letter, which was called digamma, because it looked like a capital gamma with an extra little horizontal bar there, the way it was written, it looked pretty close to our modern letter F. And finally, the last vowel, E, had both a short and a long version in Greek, just like O, so they took two different symbols to represent those two sounds. For the short E, they used the Phoenician symbol He, which became E, which was later renamed to Epsilon. And for the long E, they used the Phoenician symbol Het, which became Eda. Although, again, the Western Greeks did things a little bit differently because while the Eastern Greek dialects didn't have an H sound, the Western Greeks did, and so instead of eta, they kept that initial H sound and had heta. 
But yeah, so there were definitely changes as the Greeks adapted the Phoenician alphabet to their language, especially with the vowels, but for the most part, the majority of the alphabet actually stayed pretty much the same. So the next stage of our alphabet's journey happens in Italy when it's adopted by another group of people, the Etruscans. So the Etruscans were pretty much the dominant civilization in Italy from around the 8th to the 4th century BCE, and around 700 BCE, they adopted the Greek alphabet to write down their language. Now, initially, when they first adopted it, the Etruscan alphabet was almost the same as the Greek alphabet they got it from, but one thing they did change was the names of the letters. So, instead of each of the letters having the name that came from one of those old Semitic words like alpha, beta, gamma, delta, the Etruscans were like, nah, that's too complicated, we're just gonna call the letters what they sound like. And so, the vowels were just called whatever sound they made. A, E, I, O, U. And for the consonants, well, they were divided into two groups, stops and continuance. Stops are sounds that completely, well, stop the air from flowing. So like B, D, P, and T sounds are all stops. And then continuance are basically the opposite. It's sounds where the air can continue to flow while you make the sound. So like S, L, M, N. And so what the Etruscans did is that for stop sounds, the name of the letter would be the sound plus a. So like be, de, pe, te. And for the continuance, it would be reversed. So a and then the sound, like s, l, m, n. They also, over time, made some modifications to the shapes of the letters, like how they were written, which the Greeks had also done, but I want to just mention a couple relevant changes that the Etruscans made. So one was that the Greek letter gamma, which looks like an upside-down L, they kind of rotated it a little bit and made it kind of curvy instead of pointy, which made it look kind of like the modern-day C. The other is that the Greek letter epsilon, which remember looks like our Y, they removed that bottom line there so it just became like a V, but it still had that same pronunciation of OO. Now, another little tribe of people in Italy called the Latins, who later became the Romans, also decided this alphabet thing was pretty cool, and so they picked it up from the Etruscans around the 7th century BCE, and they kept that naming convention from the Etruscans, but just like the Greeks and the Etruscans had, they made a few changes to the alphabet to make it fit better with their own language, the Latin language. So one thing they did was that they got rid of some letters that represented sounds that just didn't exist in Latin, like theta, phi, and chi, and a few hundred years later, they also dropped zeta. Another change that happened had to do with the system of sounds in the Etruscan language. See, the Etruscans didn't differentiate between what's called voiced and unvoiced stops. So if you think about, for example, like B versus P, notice that you pronounce both of those sounds by putting your lips together. And the only difference between those two sounds is that when you make a B sound, your vocal cords are vibrating, but for P, they're not. You can see this more clearly with like a Z versus an S, which also have the same like mouth shape, 
But if you put your hand against your neck when you say a Z sound, like Z, you can feel the vibrations of your vocal cords. But if you make an S sound, S, you don't feel anything. So B and Z are what's called voiced, and P and S are unvoiced. And yeah, so the Etruscans didn't really make that distinction for stop consonants. And so, for example, k and g were basically the same for them, so they just wrote it all with one letter. Now, they had inherited both kappa, which looked like modern k, and gamma, which, remember, the Etruscans had modified to look like a modern c, from the Greeks, but they were like, I mean, we only really need one of these because it's for the same sound. And this one curvy line is a lot easier to write than this whole K thing, so let's just use that. And so the Greek letter gamma became the Latin letter C. Now, the Latins did have both a K and a G sound in their language, but since they'd gotten their alphabet from the Etruscans, and the Etruscans pretty much only use the letter C, the Latins also kind of just stuck with that for both the K and the G sounds. But... After a few hundred years of using the letter C for both of them, they were like, you know, it would be kind of nice if we had separate letters for these two different sounds. And so the letter G was introduced, a sort of modified C with just that extra little line on it. And since they added G around the same time they lost Z, about the 3rd century BCE, they just put G in Z's old place to keep the alphabet's order the same. And so the Romans had both the letter C, which for them was always pronounced as K, never with an S sound, and G, which was always pronounced G. To make things more confusing, though, while at that point the letter C did only have the one sound, K, they did also end up sort of inheriting a couple other letters that also had the K sound. The first was from the Greek kappa. Now, it is true, like I said before, that the Etruscans preferred to use C for the K sound and didn't really use the letter K or kappa much, and the Romans just continued that, but there were a few words here and there, mostly for historical reasons, that ended up keeping the K in them. And these words that kept the letter K were mainly words where the K was followed by the letter A. And because the K was still being used, if only in a few places, it stayed in the alphabet. Now remember, the Etruscans and then the Romans had simplified the letter names, and stop consonants were named with the sound of the consonant plus E, so the letter C would have been pronounced K. But the letter K had the same sound, so they couldn't just do the same thing or you'd end up with two letters with the same name. And so they're like, well, this K letter is always followed by A, so instead of calling it K plus E, let's call it K plus A, or Ka. And the other letter, which was also pretty rare but still used in some words for the K sound, was what became the letter Q. So for this one, let's go back all the way to the Phoenician alphabet again. So the Phoenicians had the letter Cup which became kappa and then k, but they also had the letter kop, which actually was a different consonant to kap. It's actually made a bit farther back in the mouth. So for the Phoenicians, those were two distinct sounds in their language, so they needed two different letters. But for the Greeks, they didn't actually have that consonant in kop in their language, 
which we also don't have it in English, so to them it just sounded like the same letter, just a k sound. And so, while they did keep the letter when they got the alphabet from the Phoenicians, they didn't really use it much. They were just like, yeah, let's just use kappa. And so, eventually, this letter dropped out of the Greek alphabet. But before it was completely lost, the Etruscans had borrowed the Greek alphabet, and the Romans borrowed theirs, which still had the Q in it. Now, people think that the Romans, at least initially, used the letter for a slightly different sound, which is basically like saying the letter K, while at the same time having your lips rounded like you'd have them for a W or a U sound, which sounds a lot like qu. So it was often written as Q-U, or really Q-V, because remember at that time they used V for the U sound? And so that's where we get the whole thing where Q was always used before U. And as far as the letter name goes, again, since it's the same k sound, they had to do something different for the letter name, and since q always came before u, they just named the letter ku. So yeah, three letters for k. There was k, our c, ka, our k, and ku, our q. Okay, so there's just one other thing I wanted to mention that the Romans changed, but this happened much later. It was after the Romans conquered Greece around the first century, and they started needing to be able to write all these new Greek words and names they were encountering, but the alphabet they were using wasn't really cut out for Greek at this point. So they added a couple new letters that they realized they needed to be able to write Greek stuff, Y and Z. And yes, they'd had Z before, but again, because they didn't need it to write Latin, they'd stopped using it, and over the years, people forgot about it. So at this point, it was basically just like adding a brand new letter. And this time when they brought it in, because it was like a foreign letter used for foreign words, they kept the foreign name of the letter and called it Zeta, like the Greeks. The letter Y, or Epsilon, on the other hand, they'd never had before, Although they did have its descendant, V, which, remember, was still pronounced OO. But by this time in Greece, the sound of that letter had actually shifted a bit to be more like a French U, where it's like you say E, but with your lips rounded, like E. And for the Romans, because they didn't have that sound in their language, they couldn't really distinguish it from their I sound, E. And so they just called it the Greek I, or Ygraica and only really ever used it to write Greek words. And these two new Greek letters, they just kind of tossed on the end of the alphabet. So, at this point, the Latin alphabet was actually pretty close to our modern English alphabet. They had the letters A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, V, X, Y, Z. So just missing J, U, and W. And there were still also a few other differences in like how the letters worked, like V was still pronounced as a U, and the letters C and G still only had one sound each, K and G. So we'll get to that in a bit. But first, let's just take a minute to look at where we stand with the names of the letters. So the Romans would have probably said the alphabet something like this. A, B, K, D, E, F, G, H, I, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, 
S T U X Y Z. This was still following the same convention of having vowels just be the sound they make, stops being said as the sound plus a, and continuance said as a plus the sound, with the few exceptions I've mentioned before, the k ka ku letters and the last two newer ones y ka and z. One other difference was the letter x, which even though it has a stop sound, still followed the continuant pattern. But that was just because in Latin you couldn't start a word with the k sound, just like how in English we have the word books, but like ksub is not something that could be a word in English. So how did we get from the Latin pronunciations to the English ones? Well, most of that can be explained by the great vowel shift, which I talked about a couple episodes ago. So if you remember, what happened in the great vowel shift is that long vowels each shifted up a place in the mouth, but short vowels stayed the same. And so if we look at the continuants, like l, m, n, those were all short vowels, and so nothing's really changed there. The only exception is the letter r, which initially was just air, just like s and all the rest. But there was another sound shift in English that happened after all the French influence from the Normans, which affected certain words with er and made them sound more like ar or r. Which is why, for example, the French word ferme became the English farm. Okay, so that explains the continuance. But what about the stop consonants like b and d, or be and de, as they would have been in Latin? Well, those were pronounced as long vowels, and since the a sound in English shifted up to e, we got like b, d, t, and also c, which at the time would have been like key. And the vowels themselves would have undergone this shift too. So a was raised to e, and over time, through a couple more smaller shifts, made it to a, and e was raised to e. The e sound, remember, being the highest vowel, shifted down to the diphthong i, and a moved up to o. So we have a, e, i, and o. Remember, the letter u still doesn't exist at this point. But the letter ka went through the same thing as a and shifted to k. The letter y. Now we don't actually know the full history of the letter name. Like I said before, in Latin and now in many modern European languages, it's called Greek I. But we do know that by Middle English, the letter was called we, and so that e sound would have shifted during the Great Vowel Shift to I, and we get y. It might be that the we name came from that Greek pronunciation of y, which remember was like e but with rounded lips, so like u. And maybe that sounded kind of like u plus e, so ui we. But again, there's just really not enough evidence to say for sure. The last letter, zeta, since it didn't follow any of the patterns of the other letters, it just kind of stayed the same, except that we just kind of cut off the end of it to get z. Now, of course, in America, we don't say z anymore; we say z. But that was changed much later in the late 17th century, just to make it so it did match with the pattern of the other letters. And there's one other weird letter name that I haven't mentioned yet, which is H. 
Now, there's actually some disagreement about how it got that name, which doesn't even have the H sound in it, but the most common theory I've seen, which is what the Oxford English Dictionary says, is this. So, we know that originally the name for the letter in Latin was HA. I don't know exactly why it doesn't follow the pattern of the other letters, but I imagine it has something to do with the fact that if you just put E plus H, you'd get like A, which just sounds like the letter E, and you don't really hear the H sound. But anyways, over time, it seems like the name of the letter changed from HA to AHA to AKA. And probably the reason it did that is because the H sound in Latin was kind of going away which you can see in Latin's descendants, the modern Romance languages, where the H is silent. And so changing the name of the letter was maybe a way to give it, like, some kind of pronunciation? Because, I mean, if you say HA, but with a silent H, then it's really not any different from A, the letter A. And then, for reasons we're actually going to talk about later, AKA would have changed to ACHA, and then actually, we know that in Middle English, it was ace, and again, we run into the great vowel shift, which again would have turned that long a into a, and as I also talked about in that same great vowel shift episode, we also lost a bunch of those final e's on words, and so from ace, we ended up with h. And of course, there are still some letters that I haven't gotten to yet, and some sound shifts that happen later, not to mention some extra letters that we used to have but have now lost. But the rest of the letter stories get a bit more complicated and really deserve their own time. And because this episode's already getting pretty long, I'm breaking it into two parts, so you'll just have to wait for the next episode to hear the thrilling conclusion of The English Alphabet. for listening to Why is English with me, Laura Brandt. I hope you enjoyed learning some about how our alphabet got to be the way it is, and I hope to see you next time for more cool alphabet facts and history. Yeah.